My name is Mario Gatineau, and I am the founder and CEO of Potager Farm. I was born and raised in France, the son of a beekeeper and botanist. So from the very early age, I was surrounded by nature. Nature in the beautiful forests of northwest France, where his father kept bees and made artisanal honey and other products. He had around 200-250 beehives before. Before the use of pesticides in local farming killed around 80% of them. One famous one is called the neonicotinoid, and they are disturbing the neural system of the bees and kill them over time. This insecticide is systemic, meaning it's taken up through the plant and is then ingested by bees. I've seen all the farming practices and how it has been affected the bee industry. Because I have been able to attest and observe this with my eyes, uh, you know, literally seeing all those bees dying one after the other, literally been walking on carpet of dead bees with my father, deeply sad about it. Which set Mario along the path of studying biology and hydrogeology in order to really understand what had killed his father's bees and how farming of the future could be done in a more sustainable way because the demand for food, especially in cities, is growing. So it was not about blaming farming industry, right, which had a huge responsibility in it, but um, we need to feed the people, so we need farming industry. But more about finding a different way and more respectful techniques to, to produce the food for the people without damaging other businesses and actually conserving the environment. And one way to do this, says Mario, is vertical farming. Hello and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Alex Conacher. And I'm Bernadette Ballantyne. For this episode, we've partnered with Intelligent Growth Solutions to find out about Pottager Farm's plan to bring vertical farming to the heart of Berlin. A plan that was inspired by Mario Gatineau's experience as the son of a beekeeper growing up in the French countryside, trying to understand how local production could be done sustainably without harmful pesticides that could damage other parts of the ecosystem. A plan that was shaped by years of studying biology and hydrogeology before spending four years working in vertical farming. Vertical farming is as it sounds, farming in vertical towers, in a controlled environment. For an introduction to the basics, check out episode 123, Engineering Plants, which we've linked to in our show notes. There's lots of different variations of vertical farming. I mean, some people can see it as being a a hillside with the the sun shining and getting different elements on it. Douglas Elder is head of Vertical Farming Solutions at IGS, which is currently working on the design of the urban agricultural solution for Pottager Farm. What we look at is, is particularly total control environment agriculture, so referred to as TCEA. And ultimately, it's about taking away all of those natural variables, the sunlight, the the rain, the wind, all of those things, and actually replicating those in a way that we we reduce the amount of energy required overall, because we now are paying for that energy input, but allows us to be able to give absolute control and repeatability of that plant's experience within that system. 
Mario says that it's important not to misunderstand this controlled environment as being in some way unnatural. It is the ability to control it that means the plants can themselves respond naturally and don't need chemical interventions. We want to control environments in order to let the plants express, you know, its, its genetics to its maximum. Just like we would do with a child. We want to give the best condition to our children so that their talent can be expressed to its maximum, right? And this is what we do here as well. Uh, we do the exact same thing, but with, with the plant. Uh, therefore, you know, control environment in, in which we control actually temperature, nutrients, light, uh, in spectrum, light intensity. Uh, we do that to give the best condition to the plant. Uh, and then we just have to build a building around it. That's what we do. For Pottager Farm, the buildings around the farm will belong to Greenman Group, which owns real estate in the grocery sector and describes itself as an investor in disruptive grocery and supply chain technologies. This group is a very respected voice in the conversation about the future of grocery retails and distribution. In Germany, it's Greenman Open Business invests in grocery-related real estate, which sells a billion euros of groceries every year, equivalent to 0.5% of the German grocery market. It's seeking to become a pioneer in net-zero real estate and sustainable food production. With uh, the introduction of Potagy Farm into the group, you know, we are able to implement vertical farm in our centres across Germany, reducing food miles for our tenants and providing the community with healthy, local and sustainable food ch choices. Meaning that the food will be grown next to where it's sold. And there are also plans for a kitchen, pop-up shop and educational experiences. So our first pilot farms will be uh, two towers. Each will have more than uh, 300 square meters of growing area. So we'll have a bit more than 600 square meters and we'll be able to, to grow something like 50,000 50, plants monthly. They'll begin with herbs such as chard, parsley and leafy greens before moving on to edible flowers and fruits. But first it has to be designed and constructed and this is where Doug is hard at work. They have a really interesting approach to this in that they're, they're basically taking on that true urban ag element of this and th this is also quite an interesting perspective for anyone coming into this space of does it need to be urban ultimately that comes with limitations but it gives you that co-location with your end users effectively or, or as close to that so it really reduces those you know uh, farm to fork miles and things like that as much as possible what was, was really good about the potager was this this link up with retail basically that they're able to to really really maximize that co-location but at a scale that still allows them to operate all the other pieces of equipment you need and justify owning those and having those right next to that site. But what equipment do you need? What does a vertical farm consist of? Well, it starts with the units that host the farms. Growth chambers, effectively, that give us, a, on a 40 square metre footprint, we can get up to about 440 square metres of growing area just by stacking up snooker table sized benches. Basically growth trays with LED lights. Very special lights, but we'll come on to those later. What we're doing is taking that snooker table sized bench and putting them above each other in a static racking system. So it's, it's just like warehouse racking, same as you'll see in any sort of large DIY store and things like that with, with all the goods on them. 
We then have a lift that services two of those, basically. So there's a central lift, moves up and down between these static racks, moving these snooker table-sized benches in and out of the system. And once those benches go into position, we have the lights built into the bottom of those and it lights up the tray below. And around that is a ventilation system that's blowing air in and extracting that air out for each one of those chambers individually. This is more secure than an open plan warehouse style system. And that gives us much more biosecurity because it means that if something does happen inside one of these growth towers, it's not the entire warehouse system that's gone down, it's potentially just that. And that can be any sort of contamination just through accidental mismanagement of the system. Um, or it could be you know, uh, something you can't see, something like salmonella, E. coli, listeria. And so that's where the irrigation system becomes critical because that can be a transport mechanism for those things. And this is where controlling the environment protects the plants. So what we're doing is we're filtering out any of the sort of resilient uh, residue material going through our fertigation system. And we put that through UV treatment to make sure it's all clean. Same with the airflow as well. That's constantly put through UV treatment to make sure we're not spreading anything around these growth trays within the system and making sure that each tower individually has no communication between them. And so that allows us to create a much cleaner environment and means that we don't have to use any pesticides, fungicides, biocides. But in these individual chambers, we're able to create very different climates, basically. So one can be sitting at 18 degrees, another one can be sitting at 26 degrees, and the range of crops in there can be specific to suit those conditions. And then we create these little microclimates at each tray level, dependent on the growth stage of that crop to optimise that, that uh, growth environment for that plant. A modular approach is used for construction of the chambers, and this is particularly important for Pottager Farm. The way that they're doing it comes with big challenges. They're, they're going into existing spaces. There's already infrastructure for completely different purposes there. And so that's where we have to really look and focus and Actually, a big benefit of the modularity is I can be quite creative with how I like lay these chambers out. So there's specific conditions in terms of I have to maintain an environment and there's a certain footprint and internal height that we need to maintain for us just to deploy that system. So by having different height systems, we're able to adapt to that. So we've got three sort of core offerings of a six, nine and 12 meter growth tower. But ultimately, we can rearrange these like building blocks as to what's required to fit in a complex space which is crucial when thinking about urban agriculture and fitting farms into existing buildings. The nature of an urban vertical farm as a closed independent system also means that it could technically be classified as a machine. It can be classed as a machine and that changes the definitions of how these things integrate into these spaces. And that, that's one of the, the big challenges, I think, with urban ag is that the way the local regulations and things like that are set out you're not used to having farms in these places. What do you, you know, waste nutrient mix and things like that typically are run off and, and are kept out in the countryside. For us, it's really important that we have the right process and containment, but ultimately if we can use as little as possible, we have less waste. Waste is a critical element for Mario, who's paying attention to every detail from using compostable packaging for the plants to finding the most sustainable substrate to grow the plants in. We will push the limit of sustainability and try to recycle everything we 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 ever produce or, or just waste. We do believe that waste is the new uh, oil of this century. We just need to find a solution and know what to do with it.
One of the biggest advantages of vertical farming is the water savings made from being able to manage the farm as a closed loop system. Yeah, one one of the key uh, one of the you know sustainable metrics that vertical farming have improved is water saving. Throughout system, we are able to save ninety five percent of water. We have a closed uh, closed irrigation loop, so in which we constantly recycling the water, we just clean it and filter it with UVs. And one of the biggest challenges is energy use, which powers the most fundamental element to plant growth, the lighting system. Regarding the LED lighting system, it's consumed uh, you know, a big part of energy indeed. Uh, we have to be honest here, but first of all, we, we have uh, you know, the quality of the LEDs just getting better year by year, meaning the quantity of energy that's transformed from electricity to lightning is improving. The reason why we choose the IGS system is, is because you know they work on very low voltage and they have patented a multi-spectrum lighting system, which you know allowing us to, to choose exactly what spectrum we want and when we want to apply it to the plant during its growth. You know, we don't have to apply it that all the time. We really optimize the use of the light. And then we we're able to you know, save a significant amount of energy compared to other vertical farming or business or also some greenhouses that are on the market currently. As Mario says, everything about the lighting is important, from the frequency to the duration to the combination of frequencies, and even whether the lights flicker or not. It all affects plant growth. Yeah, so number one driver of plant growth is light. That's the one that's giving all the energy. But what people don't appreciate is it's also instructing how those plants grow. So the different wavelengths of light are ultimately controlling photosynthesis, but also what's called secondary metabolites and things like that that are giving you the nutrition elements, the flavor components, all of those sorts of things going on inside the plant are largely driven by light. And so this has been proven through numerous scientific trials that um, ultimately when you're just using sunlight, you're getting what that plant's response to that sunlight is. But if we can take individual elements of those, we can start changing how that plant grows to control those elements. So the lighting is, is by far the, the most important aspect, but it's also the biggest cost element. So it's the one you have to get right. IGS has developed a unique system here, which called upon the founder's experience in industrial automation and electrical engineering. When we started IGS and what we were looking at, our founder, Henry. Henry Aykroyd, visionary farmer and co-founder of IGS, along with engineer Dave Scott. Again, listen to episode 123 for the full story. Henry was really driven by this dynamic lighting system concept because it ultimately is, as I say, the main quality driver. It's the main yield output driver and it has all that, but it is difficult to do at an industrial scale because LEDs don't play nicely together in a tight environment at scale. Effectively, you get all sorts of problems with the powered infrastructure, so things like power factor, harmonics, which electrical noise on your systems. LEDs create a whole world of problems when you start doing these things, and particularly when you start changing the, the LED lighting configurations. So we wanted to have that controllability to basically create what we call photon optimization, the largest point of doing it our way was to actually drive down the cost of production because I'm now using the light I need when I need it 
rather than just having general lighting that also has, uh, you know, if we're using broad spectrum white light, all the wavelengths I don't need that aren't actually doing anything to the plant, they're just bouncing around and turning into heat. Or if you have too much of certain wavelengths, the plant just absorbs them, generates heat within the leaves or starts doing processes that it doesn't need to do to give you the output that you want. What growers like Pottager Farm want is to be able to select exactly what wavelengths and durations are suitable for their plant, so that, as Mario said, they can express their genetics to the maximum. So for us, that narrow band wavelength, as we call it, which uses a selection of specific colours of the rainbow, it allows us basically to then focus those in a way that is ultimately about cost reduction and about energy reduction. There are, of course, sustainable ways to power the lighting system, and Mario says Greenman have a plan. Uh, in addition to the lighting, uh, we, as you know, Greenman have invested in solar panels company called Greenman Energy. Uh, we will install a solar panel on a rooftop and we'll supply a vertical farm with it and drastically reduce the cost of the energy for us. Another interesting aspect of the Pottager Farm approach is that its commitment to sustainability also covers the substrate that the plants will grow in. A common growing medium is peat, but Mario sees this as being in conflict to the ideals of sustainability. Peat is a rich natural habitat and carbon store. It builds up over thousands, even millions of years, and it can't be restored once it's disturbed. If not peat, uh, we could use a cococoa which is just, you know, the coconut broken down into small part, tiny piece that imitates the, the pit properties. But the thing is that they are made in Indonesia. So the carbon footprint is not the best. We could use rock wool, but as well, it's not very sustainable. Uh, so what we try to do, it's more finding local materials, such as a compost, hemp, or you can also use a yuta. And yeah, there's just plenty of solution. Just depend where you are in the world and just need to find the best one. We are trying to do it in Berlin, so we are partnered with a, a firm nearby in Berlin which produce local substrates, and they can also customize really the soil that we want. And as well, they can implement a recycling change so that we reuse the same soil over and over. Therefore, we don't have to discard this material. From recycling water and the substrates used to low-voltage, low-energy lighting, the producer has total control of the vertical farm. But to maximise growth potential, the environment has to be carefully monitored so that the growers know exactly how to give the plants what they need. The benefit of a vertical farm is that the world's your oyster in terms of the, the data that you can look for and acquire and then analyse. This is Emily Seward, Head of Data for IGS. We are measuring environmental data that gives us information about the, the crops and how they'll be growing in that controlled environment. So for example, we measure the temperature that the crops are growing at, we measure the humidity of the environment, so uh, the, the percentage relative humidity. We also know things like the light intensity, so what is the equivalent of the sunshine that's hitting the crops. And we also measure things like how frequently we're, we're irrigating the crops, so how frequently we're adding water and effectively rain to the system. We also measure crop health data, so the ability to visually inspect the crop, but also automate that process so that you get a real understanding of if the 
crop is growing to plan or not. And if it is going to plan, fantastic. And if not, then you need other data streams that allow you to, to problem solve and figure out why that growth is disrupted. Each IGS vertical farm is built with its own standard operating system, including the hardware and the software to support clients like Pottager. The images that you've taken of that tray and the plants in it as they grow, some of the environmental data, the recipe that you're using to run that tray, and it, it has it all in one place online on the GTMS software, so the Growth Tower Management System software. What's interesting is that um, IGS have developed its own software in order for us to control the environment inside, but also in order to track absolutely and have a perfect trustability of our production. So we know from seat to table um, what happened to the product and we can track that down in case there's any, any issue with uh, the production. So because we build the towers and the software that runs the towers ourselves, it means that we have a high level of control about what data gets reported. And so that's a really good, reliable data source for us to do with the environmental conditions, but also the tower health and how the system is performing as a whole. So that's sort of our standard data stream. This can then be augmented with other data streams appropriate to the plants and location. Like, for example, we might want to use a thermal imager to get the temperature of the crops, or we might want to look at some special spectral imaging, for example. So we can add in those extra data streams and, and get extra information on top of the standard offering. And the feedback loop is obviously much faster than the kind of data that can be gained from traditional farming, which is seasonal. So for example, if you uh, were growing basil outside, you can grow it in certain times of the month and maybe you'll get one cycle per year. So you get one set of data per year. The real benefit of vertical farming is that you're season agnostic, so you can grow 10, 20, 30 cycles of basil a year, and it means that the amount of data you get about the conditions that that basil enjoys growing in is, is much more than uh, in, a, in a field or outdoor setting. And the benefit of that is that it allows us to much more quickly optimize the recipes that we use for growing the different crops. So uh, if you put basil in and a couple of weeks later you're taking it out, you can use the information you gather from that growth cycle to inform your next growth cycle. So we're continuously uh, improving the recipes that we grow and improving that feedback loop between the, the recipe and the yield and then the next recipe that we grow. And this is exciting in a world that's embracing automation and smarter interconnected technologies. So as we build up these feedback loops between the data and the crop and the machinery, we can be more and more certain about how the machine should respond to a given data stream and, and automate that going forwards, which saves time in response so that you can help the plant be in its perfect condition quicker, but also saves time in terms of the, the manual person power required to run the farms as well. Responsive, self-monitoring, seasonally agnostic, low energy, low water farming, sounds like a dream come true. But like any new industry, 
vertical farming faces a range of challenges as it seeks to grow, such as the requirement for capital investment to market readiness. Yet new approaches to food cultivation are essential. Rising global temperatures are leading to reduction in crop yield rates. Agricultural climate zones are shifting away from the equator to regions without major farming infrastructure. And at the same time, soil fertility is declining. An issue that the IPCC warned of in its August 2019 report on climate change and land. The fertility of the soil have drastically decreased, uh, which is why we need to constantly apply fertilizer into our system uh, that, we have, that we have currently destroyed. Capacity of the soil to regenerate itself, that's what we damage. So guys investing in conventional agriculture in the future will always have it depending on additional fertilizer over and over. So it requires more investment to make the soil fertile. By doing this, you're just trying to restore over and over an unbalanced natural ecosystem. It's like a snail eating his own tail. At the same time, demand for food is rising. The UN predicts that production must increase by 70% by 2050. The race is on to find new ways to feed people. In the next coming years, um, we'll have to increase the food production in order to secure food for everyone. Vertical farming, it's, a, it's, it's create a new way which is more respectful to the environment uh, as we don't use any pesticide that we release and so damage the ecosystem with. Since I'm a child, you know, then of course I, I had I had a different way on the environment uh, that I have right now because the challenges have changed, right? We are facing now major climate change crisis, which are, yeah, we are all facing it now. Uh, it's everywhere. And we have a growing population. The density as well within the city is, is increasing. So yeah, the challenges are different than 30 years ago. So we have to come up now with a solution in order to tackle all of that together, which is why vertical farming is a very interesting approach. It combines multiple technologies into one single facility. And this is particularly important in locations where the climate makes it difficult to farm because of intense heat, water scarcity or other challenges. We are going to face a food security crisis in the world, such as the Middle East in Africa, where it's actually ongoing for a very long time. So we have to come up with tangible and applicable solutions for this country as well, which is why vertical farming can bring a yeah, very good solution to that. But not the only solution. Mario and IGS are clear in their belief that vertical farming is not a panacea for feeding the world, but it's part of a more resilient system. I do believe vertical farming is part of this you know, solution that uh, we're going to have to apply, but it's not the only one. You know, we, if we want to make the system resilient, we need to diversify the solution in the future. So it will be a nice marriage of urban farm uh, that's, that's some, something like potentially farm we do, with more outside agroforestry and permaculture farm as well. Engineering Matters is a production of Rebe Media. This episode was written and hosted by Bernadette Ballantyne. Co-hosting was by me, Alex Conacher. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. And our own bountiful input is Rory Harris. Special thanks to our episode partner, Intelligent Growth Solutions, and also to Pottager Farm. Thank you for listening. You can find Engineering Matters on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, on Twitter and on LinkedIn.